Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast. All things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. we got a full house for a full show. It is our LVO recap show with us today. Live, who is actually at LVO, is Robert. Oh, God, my spleen. <laughs> and hopefully Ray's spleen isn't doing a little bit better. <laughs> uh, yep. All right, so all our internal organs seem to be intact. We've got a lot to cover uh, between the previews, the what does this mean for the future, what happened at the event, the venue itself, uh, lots of uh, innovations in terms of play style, and uh, just kind of a real interesting, I'd say, closing of one chapter, opening of a new chapter. So we have a lot to go over. Let's start with the good stuff. Let's start with the previews. This was uh, Thursday night. Uh, we had a few new models shown off by Games Workshop, as well as their their new announcer, which I'm, I'm still getting used to at this point. I like Eddie. The new guy seems a little stiff, but he's getting better. But uh, new stuff. What do you guys think? I'll let Ray go first, because I went and saw the physical preview, and it was only about half of everything else that they showed. <laughs> Okay, well, um, so to be honest, I was, some of what I saw, I was kind of expecting. Uh, I became a pretty firm believer when the rumors came out that the Night Lords, which we saw previously, uh, coming to a Kill Team box set was going to have, uh, be, well, be paired off against Mandrakes. I pretty quickly believed that that rumor was true, so... Seeing it just kind of confirmed my belief. I was, however, completely blindsided by the Kroot army box. I honestly didn't think that was going to be a thing. Um, I was proven wrong. But, I mean, outside of that, I gotta be honest, I felt a little um, underwhelmed. I don't know, I guess maybe I was just expecting them to announce something kind of big. You know, maybe like a a new um, deck of cards for like mission packs or maybe a teaser for what that uh, currently unknown codex coming out during the summer was going to be. But didn't really see anything yeah i kind of agree with you there was uh it was cool to see what they did show off but it felt like okay it, it feels like they're holding stuff back like the whole idea that they held back on half the kill team box they'd shown half of it previously it, it feels like they have we have this many previews yet to go and we don't know if we have enough new stuff to really keep your interest i also felt this year um even though it's some of the other products, you're like, okay, I'm not a Sigmar fan or a Warm. Uh, what's I forgot their other games that they that some of the standalone box games. Underworld, yeah, Underworld, Underworlds. Yeah. But sometimes you're like, okay, that model's kind of cool. You know that. Even felt those were underwhelming. I was kind of like, eh, okay, that's what's that? You know, I'm like, all right. So it just seemed it was kind of meh. So I agree with you there. So I mean, the good news is, yes, the uh, the uh, Tau Beast Naga's box, otherwise known as the Crude Carnivore Squad, is a uh, hunting pack, excuse me. So it includes all the new models in one big pop. 
So you're getting new Carnivore Squad. You're getting a Kroot Flesh Shaper, which is some sort of character, followed by a Kroot War Shaper, which I'm not sure what the difference is. In the past, it was kind of a sergeant to the Kroot Squad. Didn't really do much. Uh, you have the Kroot Ramp... What the heck is that? Rampagers, which are the ones... They kind of replace the Forge World Kroot... I forgot what they were. Kroot Ho... Uh, I don't remember what they were. Like Krutox? Was it Krutox? Krutox is the heavy weapons guy, but basically these are kind of like a fast attack shock troop type thing. And then, of course, the okay. new Krutox is out. So, interesting, the first thing I don't see is Kroot Hounds. Are they gone? Are they been discontinued because I didn't realize they were not available in plastic. I thought they always were plastic, but they are not apparently. So curious to see if they've been removed from the line or replaced or whatnot. So we'll have to see when the codex comes out. But yeah, I was like, okay, we knew Tau was in the pipeline. They gave us the roadmap. No surprise we're getting new Tau models. This many crew models and this many new models gives me hope for some other factions that really need some refreshment. But uh, that was kind of cool. All right. What else we got? So, you know, Kill Team came around. Am I excited for the new Mandrix? Heck yeah. Uh, I only have four left that still are fine cast that are in one piece. So, and if you look real carefully, um, there's a lot of detail. They, these plastic ones look really, really cool. They kept the same theme. It's not like a reimagining or anything like that. The only problem I have is the same complaint I had about the Incubi. <laughs> is this would have been great to make a dual kit so you created a new unit, but you didn't. Mm -hmm. um, it would be, okay, maybe there's a second type of Mandrake. Um, same thing with the Incubi. Can we bring the guy with the pole arm that sits on Vex's ship? You know, those kind of guys. You didn't. You just literally said, oh, you need new Mandrakes? Here's a new Mandrake. Thanks. Um, Robert, you pointed out that it looks like they're on a bigger base. Uh, I am woefully concerned that uh, when the Codex comes out, I'm going to have to rebase my entire army because every Eldar model is on a new base. Yeah, and when I think about the Kroot box, this had no silhouette of the model that was shown off in the original like 2024 hype video because mm -hmm. that town model was a dude riding a lizard. Like a big lizard. I thought maybe it was a Kroot Rampager, but the more I look at it, it doesn't, they don't look long enough. It looks like whatever that guy's riding is, is bigger. So I'm wondering if he's a separate character model. I don't know what the heck that is. And I was hoping for like a custodian show of like not even like a full model, just like a part of a model and like hype us up and stuff as no. Yeah, you know, they, now that you mentioned it, that's another thing I was actually kind of expecting. I'm like, well, are we going to see more of what we saw, you know, in the silhouettes during that one time, that one video? But again, nothing there. Yeah. So that was a little underwhelming. Um, also in the kill team box. Okay, not to, uh, we've already seen these before, but it was kind of neat to confirm. Night Lords, but again, I'm like, do they get new rules? Do they, are the rules for Night Lords only in kill team and 40k? Or are they just a legionnaire squad? Don't know what the fight till the uh, codex comes out. And they get this piece of terrain, which I'm like, ooh, what is that? Okay, It's a hill. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a hill. Uh, it's it, it looks like something that transports eggs in the forty first millennium. 
I, I, well, it seems like the the so the the last theme was that it was like inside of a ship. It seems like this time around the theme is going to basically be like jungle. Jungle or on a water planet or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they're on a water planet. They're almost like fighting on an oil rig, and they, this is like a water purification thing. So if you look at the thing I'm talking about, that would you put your eggs in? Think of like a when you buy a dozen eggs, each one of those is a fan, and then there's a big fan. So it's sort of like an aspirator type thing. But to Ray's point, you hit around the head. It, it, it's a hill. It's it goes up a couple steps, and there's a little bit of cover on top of it and that's about it i'm like okay where's more scaffolding how about a crane or um the the what's the thing in vigilus there's like the the the, the joist or the hoist or something like that mm -hmm. that actually transports water from the planet to an orbital station that would have been cool but no i was like okay. or you know like the I know there was one kit of like this gigantic siege drill. Yeah, that was uh, the Gene Stealer Cult fortification. Yeah. Gone. That no longer exists in the game. Which is interesting because that thing was basically the 40k equivalent to the Screaming Bell from Skaven. And that that was one of the, that was a cool centerpiece model out in the game. Yeah, actually kind of went away quick. Um, I was a little disappointed in that. So one other announcement that came out, timing-wise, it, it kind of snuck on the radar. It was not brought up at the preview, but it was on the community page. And it was one of those, kind of like Ray mentioned earlier, it's been rumored for so long that when it came out, I actually didn't believe it. And I was like, eh, yeah, I've heard this rumor a thousand times. That ain't true. But uh, <laughs> it's true. Uh, it is official. Games Workshop is now going to be managing the ITC. Uh, they'll be working directly with West, uh, with Best Coast Bearings. So moving forward after this show, there's no reason to go to Frontline Gaming to see the ITC standings because they will not be there anymore. The 2024 season will now be managed through Games Workshop and uh, Best Coast Pairings. No word at this point is that are they going to change the algorithm or are they going to change the uh, any of the point system? The other thing that's very confusing is what happens to Games Workshop's uh, golden ticket system. No idea. And of course, the last question, and I'll, I'll put this out to you guys, does this mean that Las Vegas Open is now the first event of the new season and the WCW is now the last? Or are we still keeping this as the last event of the year? Well, from when they announced it at the physical preview which like i said off air only had half of the stuff that they showed on the actual streamed preview um it was literally added on right at the end and as far as mike brant said currently there are no changes going to be happening to the itc scoring system or anything else so that way it can get acclimated into everything as per normal, but he didn't talk about anything else. Right. Interesting. So they're probably going to do small changes this year, and any big changes will happen next year. You know, there, there is always that thing about how LVO is the last event of the season. It's also 
technically the first with the RTTs that happen on Sunday. That is true. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. So I, th- I think the better question is, um, what's going to change that we don't ex- that we're not expecting to be? It's something that's going to change. Um, and I, I mean, I think we could see quite a bit, of, a bit of changes that we're not going to be expecting. Like, what becomes sponsored? You know, that didn't really take a whole lot of extra steps to become sponsored when when uh, ITC was you know, a little bit more on the independent side. Now that it's directly under GW, you know, are sponsored events going to be things that only uh, are the only ones that get the tickets? Um, Is it going to be harder to, you know, really become a well-known big event? And what's going to happen to the frontline events? More importantly, are they going to keep running events, or are those going away? Well, they did announce their schedule, so I think they're good for this year, but um, yeah, it's a good question. Right. Yeah, again, I don't think we're going to see much change in the 2024 year. It's the 2025 year that I think is any big changes that we might see will happen. Yeah, it definitely comes down to the interaction between GW and Frontline Gaming with whatever's going on on the back end. Because the only thing that they talked about was taking over the scoring system, not so much the running of the events. So if Frontline Gaming has their schedule set in stone, like we want to do LVO on this month, BAO in this month, and so on and so forth, then it's just a simple thing of they need to put on the event and someone else can worry about the scoring. And therefore also worry about the potential of like disqualifying people and zeroing scores and such. Right. No. So no, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, it's whether Frontline Gaming wants to run events or not, it's not directly related to the ITC. I think what Ray was insinuating is let's assume every GW event and every frontline gaming event gets sponsored maybe in an Adepticon to the list. What happens to like Flying Monkey GT? What happens to be a beer is a bad example, but um, um, the Dallas Open. Thank you. I was trying to think. What's another big event that's not FLG related? Uh, you know, those big ones that are community driven. Um, of course, not excluding, of course, Scorched Earth Open. Tickets are on sale, available, uh, coming up this April. Uh, shameless plug there. But, you know, you look at that and you go, what about those events? Actually, that's a good example. Let's, let's pick on our local event here. That's a, you know, easily 80-person event. There are probably 12 of those every month. And they're trying to claw their way into the, you know, 100 to 200 range people, uh, person event. How do they get to the top when to get the attention of this new group now at this point? I don't know. You know, and I'm also hearing from other podcasts that there's a lot of TOs that are just like, I'm done with singles events. I'm moving the team events. So we may see influx of now team events, or in which means just the tournament space is getting very, very crowded very quickly. And I'm just wondering who, 
sooner or later somebody's going to be out and I just feel bad at this point and touching on our local event because there's a singles we are currently at 60 players which is awesome that's really cool so tickets are going fast because if I remember right the venue it is a fundraiser for uh, one of our local high schools but uh, there is no room for uh, expansion so um once tickets are, yeah, it's a hard cap. This is this is one of those. Oh, look, we found twenty extra tables in the hallway. No, it's not going to happen. When it's sold out, it's sold out. So get mm-hmm. your tickets fast. Um, but there is something to be said about the the team hype train going to happen because here's the other kind of shocking thing. Out of all nine hundred plus people that were at LVO. I only saw a single Art of War jersey. So yeah, a lot of people are going all over the the conspiracy theories that they don't support uh, frontline gaming, blah blah. The reality of the situation is they're moving. They they moved their house this that weekend, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, I know what it was like moving when I was in my mid twenties. Uh, was not a very organized affair. I can't imagine a bunch of gamers getting together. I mean, just getting our gaming group to to meet on time to get to Las Vegas on time for the tournament was pain enough. I can't imagine moving my living quarters across town. So I think that had a lot to do with it. But if you want to stoke the conspiracy theories, they weren't the only ones. There were several big games that did not make the trip that are the mainstays, and I think the biggest you had to look at is look at the top of the ITC standings. Uh, Manny Chima didn't come. Uh, uh, he was number one in the world. It used to be, if you don't come to LVO, you have no chance of winning. So, spoiler alert, who won the ITC for the first time since Matt Rook without, with Matt Root without winning LVO? Manny Chima. Oh. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a it's a strange happenstance that people were so like, yeah, I got to be this great player so that way I can be really good in singles events. And then the concept of teams went, no, the player skill has can be a little lower for teams because of the attacker defender stuff. But we still want you to try and be an amazing player so that way our team can go, I need you to get a 15. I need you to get an 11. And they can meet that. Right. I think there's that also part with the game balance. You know, it's something like build an all-commers list that can win every possible game. Good luck. Build an army or be talented enough that given this situation, you can at least scrape off these many points. Oh, that I can do. You know, that's something gives a little bit of a different perspective. So some of the balance issues in the game kind of get glossed over in the team format, especially when you get eight-man teams, so you're, you're going deep into the well of possible factions. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, a single event, you want to try to do the get the best all-comer or list you can, where, you know, in a team, it might be, okay, your job is to have a list that goes well against... Um, Craft World and Space Brain. 
you don't have to worry about building a list that caters towards anything other than trying to beat those two armies. Right. Or maybe you have an anti-knight list, or maybe you have the, um, yeah, like I said, I, my army's designed to top, kill the top of the meta. Or my army's supposed to be, it, it doesn't matter what you brought, I will score eight, point, 8 to 12 points, no matter what. So do you want to put your top army against me? Because that's an army that should be getting you 20 points, and instead it's only getting you 10. Yeah. So there's all the fun stuff with that. And it'd be really, this year is going to be really telling with these two team circuits that are out there. It's going to be really interesting to see how that pans out. Uh, Robert, you were there. Um, this was all supposed to be the year that the Rio promised um, all the renovations are done post-COVID and the restaurants are open. What was your experience like at the hotel? Well, I didn't stay at the hotel. I stayed at an Airbnb with a bunch of the other mercenary folk. That'd be our but, team, not just for random soldiers who are working for foreign governments. <laughs> no, not totally. They were all talking about their crazy things that they're doing. No. But the hotel, when I went in there, it definitely felt like there was more life in it. Not just because of all the sweaty nerds. But, like, um, Guy Fieri's restaurant was actually open, and it wasn't open last year. I didn't get a chance to go and see the buffet or very many other places for food, because we had preset ideas of, all right, we're doing this for dinner on Thursday. We're doing this for dinner on Friday. Just to let you know, only one of those three nights actually went as planned. <laughs> was it the last night? No, it was actually... Friday. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, it did feel like there was some some changes, but I couldn't tell you what they were. A few of the mid-table mercs did stay there, but they didn't really comment on how the Rio was. Which is probably saying more than anything else. Um... Uh, let's be honest, the average person likes to complain more than they like to praise. So It's like it's a professional job being a Warhammer player so you can complain instead of play. <laughs> but yes, the, the trip was still a bunch of fun. Okay. I will most likely try to plan for it again next year just because of the fact that it's that's what it is to me now. It's a this is a trip that everyone's going to go to and we're going to have a fun time. Well, that's actually good to hear because that's something where it's becoming, I think you and I talked, I can't remember if it was on air or off, but um, the idea that if we, you know, money was no object, what other events would you go to? And it was one of those, I think some of the larger events had a better player experience. So was LVL still the destination that it has been? be curious to see if that it still has it i don't know i've heard a lot of both people who went and people who chose not to go and they've had some interesting opinions some of them factual some of them conceptions but it's there's a time for change and that's one thing i never want to count flg out uh they they vote they when they hear commented is there a very nimble company and they're able to switch things up very quickly and respond to player base. 
So I'd be really curious to see how this all comes back next year. You know, so especially, especially considering that this was the last year they were contracted with the Rio. Thank you. I was going to ask that if this, I could have swore this was their last year, but I was like, did they have this last year or one more year? So, and that's well, I believe they had to end it this year because this is the year that the new uh, the new management took over the Rio, but they still had to give them this year. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember, and I don't think they've announced where next year's is located, or even that. I doubt they've even got that figured out yet. Uh, maybe I don't know. They make it. I mean, they, so they probably already have prospects. It's oh, just that, a matter yeah. of them trying to. They're probably in negotiations right now. Right. No, that's you know. So I mean, if you got any cereal, maybe you can bribe kicker and we can find out what what he's working on. But. Um, so okay, so venue wise, you're there. Any any big changes from the previous years, or just felt like the same gaming experience that you had in your pre? Well, the major change I noticed was that the hall that they used for 40k beforehand, they used to have the back end tables. I think like either back end tables or the side tables designated to Age of Sigmar, because they had to consolidate space. This year. The 40k hall was purely 40k and a little bit of battle tech. That only took up maybe like six tables. <laughs> Poor battle tech. <laughs> but otherwise, all almost a thousand players in the champs got plenty of tables with space. Then the um, some of the other non-champ stuff was happening towards the back-end tables, and then the friendly that started on Saturday was using the side tables. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And they had most of the other events consolidated um, back into another hall a little deeper into the Rio. Neat. Okay. So we talked about the uh, QR code system for paging a Judge, how did that work out? I used it a whopping zero times. <laughs> that many? You abused it. But there was one table I saw. I think it was my round three or round two. That I think they called over a judge like six or seven times. Wow. Fun. And it was because I think it was like a, a Tau mirror match or an Elder mirror match or something. So it was just, yeah, that's a rules headache <laughs> if I ever saw one. Mm, interesting. Okay. We'll get into your games a little bit later, but let's kind of to wrap up the, the, the big event. So one of the other big changes this year, no shadow round. Uh, they announced ahead of time. Yes, there was. No, there wasn't. They uh, went with a strict top 16. And, uh, My understanding was that there was one. Nope. Which was weird. That's weird. Nope. They, they okay. don't wear shadow rounds. Uh, so what happens is you play your six games. And on Saturday night, uh, you begin the playoffs in the top 16. So if you be in the top 16, the bad news is you're playing a fourth game on Saturday. And, okay, that's where I got confused yeah. then. So whereas before it was sort of we need so many players got through without playing. Other players had to play. So, uh, interesting enough, that meant um, a couple feel-bads, but uh, 
gives you an idea of the level of competition we kind of mentioned earlier. Yeah, some of the big names didn't make it, but there's still some very big names in attendance. Uh, the first person we got to pour a, a drink out to for commiseration, uh, Mike McTire, Blood Angels player. He went a perfect 6-0 and and came in 17th place. Sorry, guy. You did not make the top cut. <laughs> I'm not sure how that happened. I'm not sure what tiebreaker they're using. I just felt bad. You got 17 people that finished undefeated. Somebody had to miss the top cut. But I'm like, oh, that's got to stink. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, moving down the list, though, it's a who's who of people we talk about every week on this show. Uh, Jeff Poole, Matt, Mo- uh, Matt Marasoli, Sean Dayton, who I picked to win. Uh, I lost with Poole there. Uh, Kit Hannah-Smith with his unusual Storm Raven list. Uh, Chase Chapel. Oh, what else we've got here? Brad Chester. I believe one of you guys picked him to win it as well. Um, of course, we all picked Ben Jurek. Uh, locally, Jason Flanzer, as well as Tarek Howe. And um, Alex Fennell. All of them went 5-1. and one. So a tremendous effort going to... Uh, close to the distance. Oh, yeah, also Jason McKenzie from Zenith Spending Zoo, also going 5-1. and one. Uh, Missing the top cut. So, therefore, all finishing easily in the top 60 uh, for the event, but sorry, not good enough for the top 16. So, your top 16 uh, looks something a little bit like this. So, what they did then is moved into a single elimination playoff seated by your uh, how you finished in the top of 16. Uh, table one, we saw Daniel Olibus, a local favorite here to Phoenix, uh, beat Drew Salisborn on 90 to 77. Ben Sherwin of the Midwest uh, took out Zach Herstetter on 98-62. Richard Kozar took out Kyle Gundy at 87 to 80, very close game. Folger Piles beat Cody Giroux, uh, 100 to 64. Charlie Andre, also from the Midwest, uh, 100 to 31 win over Riley Janicek. And if my phone would cooperate so I can look at the last one. Uh, Junior Flay, he uh, played Samuel Pope. And um, sorry, guys, the phone won't open the picture all the way so I can read it. <laughs> and Junior did lose to Samuel. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, so sets up the next uh, next round. So then again, it's a single elimination. Ah, there we go. I, that's why I went open all the way. I had to take two pictures to get everything onto the screen. Matt Laura beat Marshall Peterson, ninety five fifty three. Yes, I am a professional at this. And uh, Sweet Lou. All I can think of Sweet James, uh, the law firm that does like accidental law when I receive his name. I don't know if it's the same guy or just a cousin or I don't know an uncle. But anyway, Sweet Lou beat uh, Scott Ketchum. Uh, no related to Ash Ketchum, 100 to 54. So that sets up your final eight. Uh, in this case, it was uh, Daniel Olivas versus Ben Sherwin, Richard Cozart versus Folger Piles, Charlie Andre versus Samuel Pope, and Matt Lore versus Sweet Lou. And uh, the moving on to the final four, Daniel Olivas then was able to get through, uh, faced off against Folger Piles. Samuel Pope was also the get by, and Matt Lore continued his. Uh, his run, as we talked about, you take out some of those Apex Predators from Art of War. Somebody from the field's going to take it, and why not these guys? Unfortunately, Folger uh, took out our local favorite, Daniel Olivas, 100-47. to uh, Matt Laura beat out Samuel Pope, 89-54, setting up 
the finals between Folger and Matt. And um, this is the story of a monolith <laughs> that got a little too close <laughs> for comfort. <laughs> I think you guys had a chance. More than a little. Yeah. So it's been an interesting topic. A uh, few folks say, how, off, how much information should you give your opponent? And the short of it is, Folger asked uh, Matt uh, specifically, hey, um, that thing deep strikes, right? Yes, it does, because he's playing Hypercrypt. He f did not mention that uh, he does have a stratagem that allows it to drop in within three inches. So he spent a good amount of his time mapping out nine-inch bubbles that so Matt couldn't get any of his troops in the back line. And then, good, you're done. I play my, my one-point stratagem and drop a monolith into your backfield. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the icing on the cake was the fact that Joe from Wargames Live um, put a camera on the monolith yeah. and did a flyby of it around the table, and then it lands. And you can see everyone confidently going, it fits. <laughs> so it's been a bit of a discussion. I've heard from both sides of it. I honestly, you know, withholding information, and some people felt that that was angle shooting. Uh, other folks, part of me is like, he's got six stratagems. Open the damn app and look. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I kind of like, if you're in the f later rounds of, of the LVO, I get it. You're tired, and um, it's, you've been standing for a long time, and it's your 10th game of 40K in 72 hours. But... Um, Let's do the flip side. If if it happens to be in an RTT, you guys look at me like oh, you, that's because you don't play enough. You bo you boob. You know, stop being a tryhard and read the codex. But when it happens to one of these guys, it's like oh, he got cheated. I I, I don't see that. I see a double standard. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it's a <clears throat> excuse me. It's kind of like asking me when I play my custodians, how much does your custodian interrupt cost? To um. Two? Yeah, it's two command points. Oh, but I have the character who makes it a free. Oh, how about No, that? no, it's a it's an epic deed, so I can't make it free. Oh, okay. But it's a stipulation. I have to be on an objective. And my opponent goes, oh, okay, okay, okay. And they go about their turn. They go combat. We're going to start over here. All right, I pay two command points to use counteroffensive on this unit that's not on an objective to smack your knight. Huzzah. Yeah. I didn't keep information from you. This is public information because everyone can use counteroffensive. And it's like people would call that angle shooting when it's no, that's something that people can generally do. They just forget about it all the time. So, yeah, this is an instance I don't think it's really angle shooting myself. I don't feel that you need to list quite literally everything you can do with an army to your opponent. Now, if the opponent says, hey, could I possibly see your stratagems, then if you don't show it, yeah, okay, angle, angle shooting. But, you know, not mentioning every little possible iota of things you can do, nah, not in this instance. Right. Like, I know the last RTT I went to, someone asked, do you have the ability to advance and charge? It says the witch cult units can with the strat. That's how I answered it. Now, does my opponent know which ones are the witch cult? I don't know. But I also, there's, I think, a thin line of over, yeah, just 
you know, filling his head up with way too much information. But if he had any uh, additional questions, yeah, I'm, I'm there. Why not? But um, there's several times, yeah, look, <laughs> there's only six stratagems that are unique to each detachment. Take a look. It's, it's in the app. <laughs> Go ahead. Mm -hmm. And more than half of these strats aren't locked behind a paywall yet. <laughs> right. So... So anyway, so that was the big story of that game. So congratulations to Matt Laura. He was able to capture the LVO and um, ended up uh, boosting his ranking quite high into the uh, ITC. But uh, very interesting. Nice to see some new faces up there. One of the big things I wanted to kind of bring up as you know, we talk about the future, and this was something that came up. I, I got the chance to listen to... Um, uh, ben Sherwin uh, is on another podcast called Advanced Warfare, and they uh, usually listen to them just kind of get the feel of the Northwest. And of course, you know we're rooting for Dan, uh, all of us, because you know he's our local favorite. We know how good he is. Uh, we've all had chances, you know, through crazy pairings to play against players from out of state or even out of country that are well beyond our skill level. And it's like, okay, I, <laughs> we're used to playing against good players, and so we know what talent looks like. And I just want to make sure I, I say it that way because someone's going to be like, oh, you think you're that good? No, I don't think I'm that good. <laughs> Sometimes I get the unfortunate pairing that I get paired against somebody that is way above my weight class. And I'm like, well, that's the nature of round one. Okay, great. But um, the good news is I've had the privilege of playing against some of these guys and I recognize, yep, that's why they're good. <laughs> but it's interesting that Ben doesn't know dan dan i guess doesn't know ben we we have we're in the unique situation we know both of them because well that's what we do all on every week on this show is we, we track who are the top players ben rarely gets out of the midwest dan rarely leaves the southwest here moving forward you know they're talking about elo ranking systems if these guys never cross pollinate unless at lvo is that going to work? <laughs> I honestly don't know. Because ELO, to me, is still such a foreign idea. Because you get people that don't get to play all the time. So when they make big wins, it pulls their score up dramatically. Whereas you get the people that get to play all the time and... They incrementally just going, all right, here's two more points. Here's five more. Here's three more. Here's these little bumps that tend to not add up to a whole lot in the long run. Because the one guy gets super lucky, wins round one against the current like number seven ranked guy. Because of some lucky dice rules. Oh, he now jumps up by a whole bunch of ranking scores and whatever else. Mm -hmm. I'm also talking in my butt, so don't listen to me. <laughs> you're, you're not far off. I did an ELO system when I ran uh, Blood Bowl one year. And for that very reason, because it was one of those, because well, here's the situation I ran into. There was one guy who was really good. There was one guy that was very personable, and he would do this. Oh, are you new to the game? Let me show you how to play. And the good news is he would recruit five, six new people to the league every season, which was nice. But of course, their first game as a teaching game, he would log it as a league game. So mysteriously enough, his team was always 
seven and zero after the first week, and we're like, oh. and every time it was Joe's team, Mike's team, Ray's team. I was like, <laughs> and then I finally follow up with that player. Then they 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 may join the league, they may not, and so it was always like this. Okay, he's constantly playing the noobs. So yeah, he's undefeated, but he's nowhere near as good as the other guy that's undefeated. I was in the, and then one time one of the players finally came up to me and said, You got to do something about the guy who's in first place. He's too good. You need to nerf his team. I'm looking at him like, No, that's stupid. So it's like, Fine. Hey, you busy? Yeah, want to play? Yeah, sure. Let's play. And I pulled off the upset. Fast forward to the end of the season. The team that I pulled the upset with went a whopping eight and five that year. But because I pulled up that one upset, I was a little higher in the rankings, but the, the losses caught up with me. So, no, I did not win the lead because I was able to knock off the number one team. But um, it did help my rankings for a while, and it does catch up with you. The thing is, though, it's a closed ecosystem. And because we only play the guys that were in that store. And that's what we're looking at here is we're looking at groups of people that may not travel as much. And one of the underlying things that we've been hearing is, uh, you know, Jack Harpster was on with Wargames Live as a color commentator. He is still burned out from winning last year. It, it's a year later, and he's like, I don't know if I want to go chase an ITC championship because it takes so many events to win it. So... Again, that's something where I go with no major changes have been announced. Are is the incentive to travel three, four time zones away for a tournament just to get extra points really worth it anymore? And I, I, I'm just curious to see how this is all going to play out. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way because my playing nights this year was a bunch of fun when I started doing it and then the later half of the year it was well right now everything in the game deletes nights off the table so I need to try even harder to play a close game and if I win a humongous game it's because I literally rolled like magic and just blew people off the table and that, that never really sat well with me while I was playing Knights, because it's either Feast or Famine with a few good meals in there. And plus transporting them was a headache, and just... That's why I'm going back to Custodes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. If you And that's something I'm looking at with my current army. Is it's, it's not the most powerful faction on the table, but it's the one I enjoy playing, and I kind of just going for... I'm just going for best in faction. And one of the things when I look at my scores, I'm like, okay, how does my faction do against this faction? And oh, I'm usually losing, the average player is losing by 20. So if I keep it with close or even pull the win off, I'm doing better than average. Look at me. And that's kind of where I'm going at. To what Jack Harpster was talking about, and I, I agree with him, there are what, usually three to four GW events before the WCW? Mm -hmm. I might be able to squeeze in three realistically two travel worthy events I know from experience trying to be best in faction and with Drukari in the past back when it was Dark Eldar I came up two or three events short and talking GT level events so that meant okay 
I needed to travel. I think I did. I think I, yeah, I did six or seven events that year, and I needed two more to even have a chance before going into LVO to to wrap it up, and hoping that I just do what I've been doing in in terms of standings and production. If I have a bad weekend, oh my god, the entire trip was a waste, and. Um, and we were kind of making fun of one of our local players. As soon as he loses, he drops. Why can't win? Why should I keep playing? Um, yeah, scraping for points towards the end of the year, it, 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 it's, a dra- it's, a, it's a grind. And um, so that's one thing that came up a little bit in, in discussion about this year and the season and what's going to be coming next season. <sighs> Is it worth the grind? <laughs> I I don't know how to answer that honestly. And part of me says it's um, attrition by those who can make the commitment, and um, so more power to you. Maybe that's what the issue is. Maybe I'm just sour grapes because I can't get away. Uh, I make no apologies for how I make my you know decisions with my time, family first, and that's how it's going to stay. And um, but. Um, yeah, I, when when somebody like sits, when I hear a Jack Harpster who lives in a house and plays 40k for a living says this is too much for me, that that is a bit of a, a warning sign. So I, I'm curious to see how this all works out. Second thing that came up, um, several uh, top players were also talking about one of the trivial. Uh, troubles isn't the right word challenges i would say for lvo but it's also part of the charm is that anybody can win mm-hmm. coming into day one round one pairings you're all oh and zero and zero anybody can st- everybody's still in the running the it used to be like wow you know i remember that when my last lvo i went uh, i was like man six games in 48 hours that's going to be a grind can I hold it together? Am I going to be at the top of my game? And it didn't. Sure enough, I lost game three and I lost game six. Fatigue was definitely an issue. I can't imagine if I made the shadow round, much less the finals. I thought, oh, yeah, I thought I was just being a sissy. Maybe, you know, if I applied myself, I would be better at this. So when I'm hearing this many WTC level players saying on their social media pages, yeah, I'm not looking forward to playing 10 games. We need a better system to weed out, maybe like a seeding or a pod system. Is that the future? And part of me went, no way, they're never going to do that. But I kept thinking, wait a second. If the World Championships is only six or seven or even eight games, that means there's more time for FLG to make money off of their other events that are on-site at LVO, Plus, the hotel makes more money. That might be a good partnership. What does that look like? I, I'm i going to have to ponder this one for a while. Take it away, Ray. <laughs> um, one thing I like about LVO is that you can go to it even if you've not gone to anything else and actually possibly walk away with the win no matter how hard the odds might be. <laughs> um, that being said, if you want to turn it into something that's more like an actual championship, then... 
honestly, I almost feel like maybe you should like pull those people outside of that the event and have like maybe like a two two events in one. You've got the there's the um there there's the open and there's the invitational. Let's call it like that. The that the uh, ITC Championships is at it's the Las Vegas Invitational. So you're in a tournament to determine who's the actual winner at the tournament, but here's all these people and, you know, random person from Georgia can actually win it, even if he's only played four RTTs the whole year. Yeah, I keep thinking of the, the, the original tale of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, Neil Gilstrap, when he, uh, you know, who are these guys from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina? <laughs> what do they know about 40K? You know, there's six people that play uh, 40K in all of Myrtle Beach, and four of them are on the same podcast, and they go to Nova and run the table. You know, it's just like, what? <laughs> so to that story, yeah, it's a great story. Um, but on the other hand, yeah. So I, I'm trying to remember, I was, I'm looking forward to my notes here. WCW, they put people into pods it was very similar to uh the world cup basically they put people so there was like you know the top player that they the, each of the top players were distributed evenly among the pods and then you had some newer people and um whoever and then you, you were guaranteed that many games and then from there that determined the knockout round i was like okay that that seemed to work pretty well but then i did some quick math um 915 players right that's how many showed up at this year's uh, okay. 928. Okay. So you're, you'd have 57 pods <laughs> of 16. That'd be a bit rough. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you have to make sure the players didn't get lost going to the correct tables and the correct pods. Right. So that might be that might be a little difficult, but on the other hand, it's something where uh, I like Ray's idea that maybe you have, similar to how World uh world-class poker or world series of poker I think that's what it's called the poker channel whatever the, the poker games you see on tv late night there's yeah there's a tournament and there's an invitational the top players are already in the invitational because they've won previous events similar to the gold ticket we've already seen from games workshop but then they're let's say they only allowing the top 32 well 26 spots are taken the remaining spots are available to the at-large qualifiers and those are the people that play on thursday and friday and that's available to the general public to, and which is how they actually do it in, in poker there's there's smaller untelevised tournaments of schleps like you and me that show up and think they can play cards <laughs> i have a terrible poker face me too <laughs> So, um, no, that'd be kind of, so that'd be an interesting way of, you know, kind of, you still have that one in a million chance. It's the, you know, I can, I can make my run. And, um, by the same point, yeah, you don't have the unfortunate things of like a Jeff Robinson versus, uh, I forgot who he played in the first round, but it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Two players in the ITC top 25 are about to get knocked out on round one. That stinks. <laughs> But um, just because of random pairings. Who knows? Maybe with this new ELO system, there'll be some ranking system so we can say, like, yeah, you have to be 
if you're at this threshold, you belong in this pairing and or this part of the tournament and this part of the tournament, and then uh, the top, like the top eight from the, the top, the number one pairings gets in, but only the top four from the, the middle group and only the top two from the bottom group make it to the finals. Something like that. Uh, it just got me thinking, you know, is that, is it time to just take the band-aid off and say like, all of you are not as special as you think you are. <laughs> You're going to, <laughs> there, many of you will lose. And then when you, when I rattled off that list of how many players went five and one who would have dominated this, this particular tournament for so many years, didn't even get a chance to make the top cut. I was like, wow, you know, that was, and that's what I'm thinking. Did, did they run into a situation where they just ran into a, a rando? Uh, was it a fatigue issue? What happened? So. Yeah. And if they start doing a pod system at LVO, I'm going to try and make it to a single GW open event. So that way I can experience the pod system before going to LVO, so that way it's less confusing. Fair. I can see that. Uh, from what I understand, the pod system is, is kind of transparent to the players. Uh, it's more the TO has to, to figure it out. But basically, you know how, like, all right, day one of a GT, you're like, oh, I went two and one. Okay. You're going to be playing a whole bunch of other players that also went two and one on day two, as opposed to I went, all right, I lost my first game on day two. Now I drop down. I'm going to be still playing the same group of eight players, you know, as opposed to possibly dropping way down to the bottom. And once I lose my drop to two games on Sunday, that sort of thing. That was terribly explained. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like we're doing this late at night. Almost. No, I just was trying to explain. Yeah, basically, yeah, if you're in a group, yeah, eight, right? So eight players becomes four, four becomes two, two becomes one. Yeah, so you're usually in pods of eight on the day two, and you're only going to be playing those other seven players on day two. So you kind of work your way through that. I do like the double elimination that they did at the, at the Invitational, especially when you get um, players of you know high caliber. You know, like you've got to win, beat the same guy twice to win the championship. And that's mm -hmm. a particular situation. That actually was kind of neat. I kind of like that a lot. I don't know if you can do that with 900 or 1,000 players. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, it would absolutely be a chore. So yeah, it just opens up a lot of questions of what's to come. You know, what is the tournament uh, landscape going to look like for the rest of 2024? I think, Ray, you hit it right on the head. The big change will be 2025. I think that's the year we'll be like, wow, what's what's next? And um, this will be the new format moving forward. But this is going to be a, a year of change. But uh, one more piece of change that's going to happen probably this week, and probably by the time you're listening to this, has already happened. Uh, interesting enough, the uh, balanced data slate. God, they didn't mess up LVO this year. They decided to wait till after LVO to bring it out. <laughs> and then they waited the next week after that, too. Yeah. So, yeah, it was confirmed on the uh, 
community page, one of the people responded to the thousand and one questions. It should be coming out this week. Uh, they wanted to wait. So I'm sure they're taking all the data from LVO as well as uh, .EMGT, which we talked about la our last show, and combining that and seeing what will come and what will change. I'd be very curious to see what they saw at LVO that um, may give them pause for concern. I, I fully sense one more hit to Eldar because of how prevalent they were. Some kind of touch to Thousand Suns. Maybe a tweaking into Space Marines. And then they're just going to make custodian units free so we win all the time. Woo! <laughs> Bow time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if you say that enough times, Eric, you're just going to have to start a Votan army, okay? But here's where I'm stuck with that. I love the look of the models, and I know some people are like, bro, what's up with it? I really like the, the chunky armor and all the um, just just opportunity for glow effects and stuff like that. I just really like um, what they offer. But the play style is like so the opposite of how I play. I just don't know if it would really be... I, I could see myself building this army, painting this army, and then be like, this sucks. What am I doing here? <laughs> Getting a grudge, and that's what you're doing. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but yeah. No, I, they, they look really cool, but I'm like, mm. No, it, in all honesty, I expect enough changes in the, in the data slate to happen that people feel justified about some of the changes, like something happening to Eldar with fake dice being able to be used on rerolls, well, you in place of the reroll kind of thing, and then maybe like less free stratagems from Space Marines or something like. There, there's just a lot of stuff that can be touched that is kind of feels bad. Like, give me back my free fight first strat, darn it. I'm less interested in how they're going to address the things that are strong and more interested in how they are going to address the things that are underperforming. Think like Shukari, Imperial Knights, others. <laughs> yeah, you have a good point on that, Ray. Sure, it's easy to think about what should be done to make the top armies come down in power so that way it's easy it's more fair to play into them but it doesn't help the people who are on the bottom that go I would like to reroll hits and wounds please <laughs> that's all I ask a couple things you mentioned earlier first of all I guess we are not getting a new mission deck so these unlike last edition where every 90 days we got a new mission pack so the leviathan deck is still um the flavor of the the month so we'll be continuing this so that right off the bat tells me some stability in the overall meta and then moving forward then it's just like i think what race a hot balancing is it going to because they're all pretty close you know that it's not like we're, we're back to the days of a win percentages of 70 and the low ends are like at the 35 percent range they're all 
mostly pretty close to that 55 to 45 percent range so well and it depends also on where the data is getting pulled because different people different i don't want to say people different groups of people um utilize different samplings of data and i say samplings because um gw uses probably the widest range of information whereas a very large group of people um, i don't know if it's a majority but a very large group of people who discuss this uh, argue that only gts uh, should have the data used for how competitive a faction is and I don't sit here, I'm not going to sit there in front of either group of people and tell them that they're right or wrong. I think, I really think both, um, both bits of data are important because one, more people are going to go to RTTs and GTs. And two, you can say what you want about an RTT, mm -hmm. but a GT, the first three rounds of a GT will have roughly the same form of data as an RTT. Yeah. But again, I think both both are important. I think they are important. I think it's, but I also agree win percentage is not the only statistic to look at. So um, I've seen that a couple times brought up and that's something where I do look at. Like for example, uh, I'll pick on Knights for a second, Robert, for you. Knights actually have a pretty decent win percentage. I think they're last I looked, I think they're like 57% that may have changed in the last three weeks. Depends which Knights you're talking about. Yeah, but... Yeah, um, the, the Chaos Knights is somewhere around like 47 or 50. The Imperials are way lower than that. Okay. But then on the flip side, uh, so they're, they're both in the sweet spot. They should be, they're balanced, right? If you look at how many times Knights of either flavor have won an event, it's drastically lower mm -hmm. compared to, say, like, um, compared to LR, compared to Chaos Space Marines. So, you know, that's what they're like. They're I actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a second so you guys can keep talking. Um, I'm going to use Imperial Knights since you brought them up as an example of kind of the difference between the two bits of stats. Yeah, sure. So... So anyway, um, so yeah, there are, there are multiple ways to look at. I know uh, uh, stat check uses, I think it's called overrepresentation. Basically, if your faction represents 8% of the population or 10% of the population of players, you should be representing 10% of the winners. So when you see a much higher percentage that a faction is winning, is winning events higher than they're actually represented in the meta, that's, that's a bad thing. It shows that um, that they are you know doing much better than they should be doing at the top end, whereas there's certain mm -hmm. definitely certain armies that are cleaning up in the mid tables and um, but uh, this can never seem to win an event. Uh, Outside of like one little pocket strategy that just happened to work, yeah. Or you get worried that's something that's just what started the show was. You get uh, these. There's a running joke at the time. Oh, this uh, <laughs> this faction is a 54% uh, win record. Yeah, but 20% of those wins that belong to one player because he was a faction specialist. Every other person was like, he took his stats out of the equation. The 
it, it almost dropped the faction win rate by 11%. So that's one of the reasons why we don't talk too much about um, just factions and who's the top faction. We try and talk more about players because it's player skill has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. Robert, since you were there, um, another topic comes up. Player plays terrain. S losing steam. Or or is it? Uh, there seem to be a little bit of uh, mixed messages about it. Well, it is, in fact, mixed signals. Because when you factor in the fact that I only won a single game all weekend. <laughs> and most of my pl terrain placement wasn't bad. Or at least not terrible to the point of automatically losing the game. It is a skill that has to be learned and has to be honed. And sure, it can make players better but overall it's an extra tedious task of all right i need to set up this firing i need to set up this firing lane in this spot at this angle because of this deployment type so that way i can do these two secondaries and it's just no you don't need to play a mini game within another game it has its merits because of the fact that it prevents static boards and being able to pre-plan movement and all that other stuff to know where your sight lines are. But it also makes the game take that much longer. Yeah, It's definitely a skill, and it's definitely uh, I'll freely admit I'm not very good at it. And um, But it's very interesting hearing players uh, their reactions to LVO who are not accustomed to doing it. We're a lot more accustomed to it because we're kind of in Frontline Gaming's backyard. We've been doing player place terrain since at least ninth edition, so we've had a lot of practice with it. But listening to some players, they, they actually ran into problems of even fitting all the terrain and had judges had to move things around to make sure they can even get the game started. So I thought it was interesting. So I, I agree, maybe it was a, um, a, lack, of, a lack of practice. Uh, let's put it that way. Well, my round four opponent, the only victory, a 100 to 17 score. Like, I trounced this, this Death Watch player because of the fact that I set up the terrain like I wanted because I got to dictate it because we had a centerpiece. So it was a, okay, I literally set this up so that way as a shooting gallery. And you don't have anywhere to hide once I'm in the middle of the table. And we got talking afterwards, and it was a, yeah, no, player place terrain is the exact reason why I won this game as far as I did, because I intentionally set up a kill box right next to the middle of the objective that my entire army could walk through. Okay, I got the data. I got the data. Yay, Ray has data. <laughs> so this is about roughly as close as I can get them together. Um, so Imperial Knights, it's actually a little close in this instance. Um, stats, stat check, which only utilizes GT data, has Imperial Knights roughly around. This is the date of this is roughly around the the institution and use of 
the last Balanced Dead Slate. Imperial Knights on stat check, one rate of 45%. Um, the um, Battle Watch, which is what GW calls it, had them at 47%. So I'm not going to use Knights here. As, as if this, if this is one of the instances where the numbers kind of match. But I'm going to use a different faction. Let's use your faction, Eric. Drakari. So, um, in this instance, stat check has Drakari at 41%. GW has it at 44%. Which, in this instance, doesn't sound like a lot, but when 45 is the minimum, that 3% is a huge difference. Yeah, it's a difference between a, a tweak versus a major, uh, I would say a major change, but a significant change. How's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I am curious to see what, what they will do with the uh, data slate, because it's one of the problems they have, so speaking of Drakari, is as soon as we do something, let's say we lower a points cost somewhere, then all of a sudden the Anari list from El, uh, from an Eldari player gets that much better because all of a sudden they, they can get whatever I need, I can get cheaper on the Jakari side, and so I can add them to my list. And that's where I was like, it's kind of a fine balance there. Yeah, just let me take two Fire Prisms and three Raiders. <laughs> yeah, or three Avengers is actually usually what happens, and that's always a problem. But, yeah, the player place terrain is still something that I would recommend people trying to see if it's how they prefer things. I know most of the people that I've chatted with are like, no, I prefer GW layouts. It saves us time. It lets us get playing the game sooner. Just need to make sure that you're able to understand that it's the entire plexic, the entire acrylic base blocking line of sight and not just the building. Yeah, I still have not uh, had a chance to play GW Layout. I've only done Player Placed. Although, I do believe that will be changing in the next couple weeks. Friendly going to invite us over to play over at your house, Ray? <laughs> that and I'm actually going to tournaments this next month. <gasps> That's right. Ray gets to be out wild. I'm just waiting for that data slate so I can figure out exactly what kind of list I'll be running. Man, I'm still, I've been working furiously on uh, some terrain projects, and they're all designed for the uh, the GWA. And it's, it's having gotten quite a few games now on it, it's definitely, it has its pluses and minuses. I'm not saying that it's the perfect layouts, but there's is deceptively a lot better than I thought it would be. You know, and especially with you mentioned, the entire base is the ruin. The entire base blocks line of sight. Uh, start once you figure that out, you're like, oh, oh, and then there's some even some of those little dinky um, terrain pieces all of a sudden have a significant effect on the game. So that's what's like, okay, pretty cool. And then from a building standpoint, it gives me a little more freedom to do some more fun stuff. So. Otherwise, yeah, 
there was a lot of him and ha and him and ha and him and ha between the two of them. So it's not officially settled on which one's preferred by the community at large yet. So just do whatever you players feel like. Except bowling ball alley. Don't do do don't do that one. <laughs> well, it definitely will affect your meta, that's for sure. <laughs> Tau and knights run rampant. Anyway, so yeah, we are anticipating the balanced data slate as uh, Ray, as well as uh, all three of us, I think, are you know, willing to make some quick changes to our list. Hopefully there'll be some beneficials, but also be curious to see what else changes in the top thing. I'd be curious to see, you mentioned Eldar getting a, a, a trim. I could also see uh, Chaos Space Marines doing some getting... They, so. they just need to delete the Forge Fiend data sheet. <laughs> yeah, I don't see them doing that. Dang it. <laughs> but I could see that going up, either going up in costs or uh, yeah, maybe some slight adjustments there. I, I'm not sure what. Um, it's, it's just funny because I'm like looking at like, well, what's good again? If you had told me back in 8th edition that Forge Fiends would be like the be-all end-all of the Chaos Space Marines, I'm like, what? <laughs> they couldn't give away those models. So... And a random ask, does anyone have an extra Land Raider? Uh, yeah. Nope. Does it have double last hands? Um, yes. Then Eric, you and I have to have a conversation. Okay. <laughs> yes, it does, as a matter of fact. Yeah, because it's chaos. That's right. I can trim off the spiky bits, it's fine. Actually, it's mostly paint job. I have to take a look. I don't think I... Because the spiky bits kept breaking off on their own, so you might be in luck. But yeah, no, it's... I'm totally not looking for a second venerable land raider for my custodians. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely say LVO is still a fun time. I would recommend going at least once with a good handful of buddies. If you don't want to play in the champs, just play it in the friendly or the narrative, you'll still have as much fun. It'll be less stressful. But if you do want to feel the competitive air of 40k, having that many people playing, trying to play that carefully, it's really, really hard to match that energy that was in that room. And also the amount of beer. That too. Now I do miss, I mean, the camaraderie, the, the feel of it. There's and it's and it was so nice to meeting so many new people there, and um, I miss it. So I hope to get to it soon. And um, in the meantime, I got a full year to get some little more practice in and get uh, get that win percentage up before or without help of the data slate. <laughs> in which, by the way, I know I told both of you about the fun encounter in round. Five, no, round three of running into a, a well-listened fan of the show. Oh, really? Yes. His name is, is either Dalen or Dylan. I have trouble pronouncing it because of the fact that I want to make sure I don't get it wrong. But he had this really pretty Tyranid army that got to eat my knights for... A snack 
because they had to share between three Norn emissaries slash assimilators. Not one, not two, but three Norns. Yes. And that was a great game. And I really do hope I get to see more of Dalen, his friends, and other fans of the show at other events that we might be able to travel to in the future. Yeah, it's definitely a topic for later, but yeah, it's always interesting meeting uh, fans of the show, but it's also, I just hope, you know, it's one of those, I'm like, okay, you know, like, nothing's worse than you get, like, a game against them, like, you're funnier on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 he, he openly admitted that it's like, I listened to the podcast enough that it, I didn't recognize your voice right off the bat because I played as background noise. There, yeah. I was like, <laughs> Hey, at least you listen. <laughs> I get that every so often. Oh, yeah, plenty of stories, but yeah, it's some every now and then you're like, oh, you're from this one, and you're like, okay, and it's, it's sort of a, a very interesting. The dynamic changes once they recognize you every so often. So, oh, he had already beaten me, so it was fine. Okay, <laughs> that's always a good thing too. But anyway, I'm glad you made it back safely. Um, looking forward to yeah, we got a couple of tournaments coming up. So good to see Ray coming out of the basement into the t onto the tabletop. And um, like I said, I got some hobby projects to get done. Otherwise, that tournament may, not, may or may not happen. So um, <laughs> get all this terrain done in time. But uh, other than that, anything else to add from your experience at the Sin City? It's nice not gambling. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not a big um, gambler myself, so that's something where I was like, I was like, when I first went to Vegas, I was like, what are we gonna do outside of gaming? But uh, it's hard to starve to death there. There's some really good restaurants. Yep, and also there's enough little side events that you can demo games that you had never tried before, and I would recommend trying at least one game while you're there. Yeah, do you actually Given... get a game yeah. in of um, oh, I forgot that the new epic, whatever it is. Um... No, 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 no. I only bought the rule book on the second day. No, on the third day, because it was like, ooh, do I come home with this or do I annoy the ever living crap out of Eric and talk about how fun old world is? <laughs> yeah, we're not gonna talk about that. I am because <laughs> <laughs> they had the the Tomb King set. They had a lot oh, of the Tomb King set there. I am so sick of Old World already. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> the game was so bad, the creators decided we're going to blow it up by dropping the moon into the earth. Oh, I know. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll bring it back because it's doing well on video games. Stop it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they're not even coming out with new models. Half the models are reprints of the old models. Oh. But yes, now that I own the epic book, maybe, maybe I can get Eric to live his ye old Warhammer days. You gotta get him to break down and buy Space Marines or, or Guard first. Yeah, game. that's a tricky part. So we'll see. I don't know. I, I, I definitely am intrigued by the um, 
but the game, the rules, and everything looks really cool. The biggest thing I'm having trouble with is, yeah, it's, okay, I have my choice between two factions, and the only thing that separates the two of them is paint color. Oh, okay. That's entirely true. There are very small rules uh, that um, have to go with the Legion choices for the Space Marines. I haven't actually read up at all on the Guard. Like, depending on which Legion you choose, there are small differences in rules. Okay. Um, so the difference is not just a paint job. Okay. But, yeah, I'm still looking forward to uh, the old days of, uh, you know, the Chaos uh, Titans being half demon, half uh, machine. But, you know, you know, maybe some hobby room for that. I don't know. We'll find out. Otherwise, I got nothing else for you guys. All right. Ray, you got anything else? I'm out. All right. That leaves it up to me. So thank you again for listening to the Exterminatus podcast. We are almost uh, approaching episode 300, so we got to talk about how we're going to celebrate that. In the meantime, though, again, by the time you're hearing this, uh, you probably have seen Balanced Data Slate. Let us know on our Facebook page or via Instagram uh, what you think of it, and we'll be discussing that at our next show. In the meantime, thank you for listening, and have a good night. Hey listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. To just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out they're sturdy the boxes help protect your models and if you when you order they come fast the order is right and for a better price than the other guy so go to krcases.com and when you place your order be sure to mention the exterminatus podcast is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from RedDukeGames.com and it will guide you through 78 different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time, and we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table, because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp, or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play in So, if you're looking for fanciful drinks, go ahead and grab the Lovecraft Cocktails by the Mad Men at RedDukeGames.com, the makers of the Necro Nom Nom are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook.